and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's a South Texan poppy poet living that hashtag middle class gay life. It's Chibi. She's a little bit Selena, a little bit JLo, and a whole lot of Pisces. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. Chin up, Rooster. Rooster. Que tal? Que tal? Como ta, mi amor, my friend? It's all good, man. It's all good. We're here. We're living. Life is awesome, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it has its its, its ups and downs, but I think we're getting by true, with true. a little help from our friends. From our friends. Wait, no way. Okay. Yeah, opposite day in uh, StreamYard land. Uh, but in any case, you know what? I don't think I've said it to you, and we're nearing the end of it, but happy Latina Heritage Month. Thank you, and same to you. We have, what, like three days, three minutes left of it? Yeah, it's always like a a, a weird moment for me because it's like it's like a month in the sense that it's thirty days, but it's like from like mid September to mid October. Yeah. And so they just need to decide already. Give us September, or give us October, you cowards. <laughs> yeah, it like creeps up on me until like I start getting like inquiries in my email of like we'd like to book poets for that. I was like, oh shit, it's here again. Yeah, yeah. It's always a good time. It's like, hey, you're a Latino. Can I? And you're like, oh, yes, yes, this is a thing. Okay, cool. (laughs) Celebrate me, world. This is the 30 days where I make the most money. (laughs) Yeah, or yeah, just kind of be around uh, answering a lot of questions like, what's the deal with the X? And you're just like, okay, for the 90th time for the people in the back seat. Yeah, I think it also brings up a lot of questions, though, Um, especially like, um, like for me, that like an immigrant and a child of immigrants, right? But grew up in the United States. Like it, it, it's always this time of year where like I start questioning like everything, like my entire identity, right? Uh, and how much of it is is learned, how much of it is lived, you know? Um, like there's just a lot of of conf- of conflicting moments because yeah, people are asking us questions and it's like, bitch, sometimes I don't have the answers. I'm still trying to figure shit out too. You know? Right. right. It's like that one meme uh, where it's like, Oh, I didn't know you were Hispanic. And it's like, what the hell did you expect? Like just, you know, all sombrero kicking a soccer ball and all that shit. Like, no. Yeah. Different varieties, my friend, different varieties and different experiences, different lived in experiences. What, what about you? Cause like you, you kind of grew up in, uh, in in South Texas, San Antonio, but like traveled all all across. Like, it was it kind of a I don't know what was that experience. I was always just the alien because uh, when I being a military kid, moving around a lot, I had to explain. Here's an example: when I I one of my earliest memories was in Hawaii as a child, which was beautiful, it was great, and I'll never forget. Uh, I think it was like my fifth birthday. My dad had a piñata, like special ordered because they don't sell those over there at the time, in like 1988 or whatever it was. Um, and so we're beating the shit out of the piñata, the candy falls, and all the kids in the neighborhood just like freeze because they don't know what to do. And my dad's like, "Don't <laughs> eat," you know. Um, so it was a lot of that. I think that's just a metaphor for my entire experience where candy falls out of me and people don't know what to do with it because it's like, I don't get, I don't understand the culture of that. Uh, as my husband would say, that's a poem. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's there a damn go. hole. Uh, but all all this to say, like I'm I'm so excited for today's conversation because our guest is definitely uh, a, a child of two cultures, right? Uh, a a person living that experience, and not just living that experience, but writing so ridiculously well about that experience. So I can't wait to jump into conversation with our guest today. Carla Cordero is a Chicana poet, educator, and artist raised along the borderlands of Calexico, California. As a performing artist, she was the 2013 San Diego Grand Slam champion, aiding the elevated San Diego Slam team to rank fourth in the nation at the National Poetry Slam. She has performed, which by the way is no small feat. There's like 90 plus teams that compete. Mm -hmm. um, she has performed for television networks such as NBC7, TBN Juice Live, and the Old Globe Theater. Her poems have appeared in Oprah Magazine, NPR, Academy of American Poets, The Breakbeat Poets Volume 4, Latinx Anthology, among many others. Carla is the author of How to Pull the Apart the Earth, a 2019 San Diego Book Award winner, and a finalist for the 2019 International Latino Book Award and the 2019 International <laughs> Book Award. She currently serves as a professor of creative writing and composition at Miracosta College. And you can follow her work uh, on Instagram at CarlaFlaca13. Y'all in the comment section, because we love the comment section, show some love, please, for Carla Cordero. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hello, hello. Hi, everybody. How y'all doing? Wonderful. Truck, trucking on as much as one can. Trucking on. Well, thank you all so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. No, super excited to have you. And wait, before we even get into the conversation, what is this beautiful background? Oh, my goodness. Um, so in the home I live in, I live in San Diego. Uh, me and my partner love art. So we always invite our, our homies that are artists to come muralize our walls. So this is kind of one mural. We got uh, John Pope as a Calavera rocking on his punk rock. So <laughs> one of many pieces throughout the house. So um, he hangs out once in a while with me. Uh, very yeah. cool. I'm, I'm living for it. I'm actually absolutely living for it. So um, like, like I said, we're so excited to have you on here. Uh, and to and to be in conversation with you and your work, uh, but because after you know we're going to get to know each other throughout the course of this hour, uh, we're going to get to know you, and so after by the end of it, we're going to consider you a friend. Uh, so we always like to check in at the beginning uh, with our friends. So just checking in, how is your heart, friend? How's your heart today? I love this question so much. It's not like what inspires you it's like how's your heart how are you today <laughs> um my heart my heart's on a treadmill of just like learning the the art of optimism um mm -hmm. learning how to find gratitude and hope and amongst like the chaos of every day and so um my heart's my heart's doing okay it's it's making its way back to the gym and just trying to find uh the good of the world and so it's been a lot of fun to i don't know think about how to find small things and make big spaces out of them. And so my heart's been really addicted to doing that. And my heart's been having a lot of fun enjoying my niece and the creativity of her presence and family and all that jazz. So heart's doing okay today. 
Good, good. We're yeah. very glad to hear that. We're very, very glad to hear that. Um, so let's kind of dive in. The first thing we like to do uh, before we kind of get things really going is we have this little section we call speed dating, where we will ask you just a quick series of questions. Uh, you can feel free to answer them as quickly and concise or as long as you'd like. Um, so first, Chibi, kick us off. Sure, sure. Okay. I, I stalk you on the IG, uh, so I know you're you're a big uh, outdoor enthusiast. So I'm just curious. Not that I'm going to know maybe what your answer means, uh, but uh, what is your favorite plant? <gasps> well, here's the thing. Um, are we talking about plant we can eat, plant we can admire, flower that blooms? Are we talking about tree, bush? So yeah. or originally I was going to ask what's your favorite flower, but then I was like, no, 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 no. I want to know like plant like all of the above right so again you can answer however you want if you want to give us one for each category i'm down if yeah. you want to give us your like ultimate winner i'm mm -hmm, down too. Mm -hmm. whatever i mean it's super blasphemy in the green thumb kingdom to just be like this is the one plant um <laughs> but i don't know i mean let me think let me think i'm just thinking what i'm growing right now uh, I think one of my favorite things to watch grow, I'm, I think I'm going with like favorite on what it, the process of what it is to grow something is maybe like a tomato plant mm -hmm. to see a thing start from a seed to a leaf, to a bud, to a ripe balloon, tomato of sweetness. It's mm -hmm. such a cool process to see. And, um, mm -hmm. the, the labor it takes to keep a living thing alive, like a tomato plant from like moths and disease and fungus it's a lot of labor and so the the turnout for the product is really sweet and delicious if, if you give it enough love so mm. i'm gonna go with tomato plant okay. uh, i love it and it's very on brand with you considering what you just said about making big things out of little things right taking little mm. things and making big things out mm. i'll take yeah. it cool yeah awesome <laughs> and you right. can make salsa forever salsa you know what i'm saying so oh yeah yeah, yeah. all the time yeah Good you can never run out of homemade salsa no, as long as you got tomatoes, you got yourself jalapeno, cebolla, you're good to go. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay, question number two. What is the weirdest or strangest thing that has ever happened to you as a poet? Weirdest or strangest thing that's ever happened to me as a poet? Weirdest or strangest thing? I mean... Getting a paycheck for poems. <laughs> what y'all are paying me? Well, okay. The first, so the first time I ever did a poetry gig, they're like, "Listen, we can buy you a beef teriyaki bowl." And I was like, "What? I get food for poems? Let's do this!" And so I remember being fed for my first poetry gig. I remember being given a check for my first poetry gig. And then um, as like the work progressed and the demand progressed, I think maybe not the weirdest, I guess weird for me was to see a line of people wait patiently to get mm -hmm. their books signed and to just have that one minute for them to tell their stories of how their work connected to my own that I never fathomed could be possible. Mm -hmm. And then strangers crying with me on like, various issues that connected with the book and I was like oh my gosh I don't know you but now I know you and so I think building relationships with my readers was very strange at first to embrace but has become like such a beautiful thing to 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 be a part of and so I think that's that was kind of weird at first was to take in all this like um joy and connection that that people made with the work 
I love that. I love that. No, absolutely. I still get weirded out whenever I pay a bill with like poetry money. I'm like, ooh, do they know? Like, I don't know. It's just, yeah. 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 Or when I first got signed to my agency, they were like, give us your writer. And I was like, my what? <laughs> yeah. Like what, what it is like that you need for your performances. I'm like, I'm used to getting like a corner in the venue to maybe set up my table. Do you mean I can ask for monster energy drinks and they will be there? Right, they're like, oh, you can make your way to the green room. I'm like, there's a room where I go, you know? Like, what? Yeah, you want your M&Ms? I'm like, oh, I got choices and decisions. So, you know, you know what it's like to like work your way into that world and be like, oh my gosh. Yeah, um, yeah there's worth to what you do and it's, it's really cool. Well, yeah. totally. Props, you've arrived. Um, yeah. All right, next question. Uh, and you've, and as you've said, you've seen some of these uh, episodes before. So you know this question is coming because uh, I ask it of everybody. What is your favorite food dish to eat? Oh my gosh, I love when you ask this question because then everybody just makes me so hungry. Um, so for sure, I'm a big fan of caldos. So mm. I love a good bowl of albondigas. Mm. I just love the journey it takes to put ingredients together. You get your veggies, you know what I'm saying? You get a nice broth, you get, you know, your albondigas, and you can have it on a hot day, on a cold day. You follow your abuela's recipe, and it's delicious. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm going to have to go with albondigas or, like, caldo de pollo, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's always okay. warm, warm and comforting. Mm -hmm. So. So good. my mouth is literally watering. Yes, right now. I want them now, but yeah. And the last time I made a bolingas with my grandmother, I had to get after her because she kept tasting the raw meat. And I'm like, Grandma, don't eat raw meat. She's like, Pues, ¿cómo vas a saber si ya está bien? Oh, you know, like God. it needs more salt. And I'm like, It's raw meat, Grandma. I love your grandma. That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, last question. What is your latest obsession? Oh man, latest obsession. I have so many obsessions. Um, latest obsession. Honestly, I think my latest obsession, I'm gonna go with my niece. Mm. She is a toddler, uh, two years old. I'm trying to like debunk this like terrible tools thing and thinking like, well, maybe it's cause she doesn't have language yet, you know? Mm. And just trying to understand where her magic comes from and where creativity comes from. And I love seeing her build onomatopoeia and building sentences and syntax and punctuation and making things with her hands and using things in non-conventional ways. And then just endless abundance of love for her family and having her try new foods and be in the garden, put her hands in the soil, pull a worm out, you know. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. That's my latest obsession right now. Yeah, for sure. It's that, that like yeah. curious brilliance. Yeah, that like curious brilliance of just being a kid and like everything's new and now we're older and it's not fun anymore. <laughs> like, or maybe, I don't know, maybe for some. I for sure. I mean, she keeps me young. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot I did this thing, you know? So right. definitely a visitation back to, to childhood mm -hmm. and, and just being curious and playing, which is cool. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the wonder of it all. And I think as, as, poets we have we often have to tap back into that wonder right and that curiosity yeah yeah, yeah. So. how do you liberate yourself in language and that's through revisiting you know before we were domesticated into adulthood that's mm -hmm. childhood when we we're free mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. 
So. I'm writing that one down. I'm writing that one down. <laughs> <laughs> I need that. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that for everyone that's watching, that is just a little taste of who Carla Cordero is. You know, a sampling, as it were, a, a uh, como se dice, pruebadita, right? Mm -hmm. Just the tapas before we get right into it. Uh, so we want to dive into this conversation, but to segue us into it, um, if you could please start us off with a poem and uh, people watching live right now, use that comment section, y'all. Like we love to interact with the audience. It's why we, uh, it's why we do this live. So uh, Carla, please start us off with a poem. Absolutely, would love to. Let me get to where I need to get to real quick. All right. Months ago, less like today, but still as loud as right now, we woke and the world said everything outside of our home can turn into a funeral. How all my metaphors for love shape-shifted into a hospital bed. My mother's warm hands turned into a fever. My father's back-breaking work ethic turned into an IV drip. My abuela's dementia and her determined spirit to hold every story left in her bones turned into a mortuary. How this body turned betrayal after the diagnosis and dared to call herself disease in the middle of the world crawling on her knees. How I once refused to kiss my niece on the cheek in fear of offering her a gravestone instead of love. Mm. My people, if distance has taught me anything, it is how we thrive best in a room full of beating hearts whose mouths chant our names alongside the titles we are gifted throughout our lives. Daughters, uncle, mother, sister, father, lover, partner, homies, I say this to say, my people, if distance has taught me anything, it is how we are people of great wealth, which rich by the smallest moments of life, remembering how breath could bless birthday candles into wishes, remembering high fives, family reunion hugs, microphones rejoicing with purpose at the local open mic, sharing French fries, pulling books off bookshelves, admiring the smile in its choir of teeth and tongue that say, welcome to this holy church, to the potlucks, to the road trips, to the sleepovers, remembering young lovers and their origin stories of how they came to touch where two young lovers reach into a popcorn bucket and at the same time call this awkward, then call this moment love, strangers opening doors for others in the name of good manners, the touch of manicures and haircuts and free Costco samples, because who doesn't love a free Costco sample? My people, if distance has taught me anything, it is how hope can be a stubborn child who takes off running, and we are called to grab Hope by the wrist, sit her down at the kitchen table, tell her we have so much yet to learn. And it is said, the average paper cut takes seven days to fully heal. My people, we are healing a wound greater than ourselves. No healing is our best trick. We are magicians practicing the art of patience. We say abracadabra and we watch how everything in the audience like hope gives us a standing ovation, giving us a reason to be a kind of living, a kind of magic that says, 
stay with me, please. Thank you. It just hits me in the, oh my God. Thank you so much for that. It was like the timing was just perfect for so many different reasons. Uh, I just kind of want to dive right in. I think, one, thank you so much for the poem. It was brilliant. Um, two, um, I can go so many different ways with this. I think COVID really, for me, showed me something about what you kind of talked about in the poem, which is that when you have the disconnect and how abrupt it can be, and you have to like leave people almost at a distance. Uh, you kept coming back to this idea of distance. Um, I'm really an introvert and I really like staying to myself, but when the option of not being allowed to do that or like being forced to do that, being such a crucial uh, thing that that it was just mind boggling. So you kind of said a lot of your feelings in the, in the piece, but I guess what were some things about that disconnect that really resonated with you? Um, um, kind of in, in terms of what you wrote, but then also just uh, as, as you went navigating the new world that we live in during all that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a lot happened uh, during the start of the pandemic. Um, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. So navigating a healthcare system where I had no good healthcare, um, navigating, you know, parents who um, are disabled and retired and thinking about their health and their concerns, but I can't go knock on their doors and go, you know, um, care for them because of the uncertainty. Um, a niece that I love that I still was too afraid to hold because of that fear. Um, I also work in education um, in the university and community college level. So I've been teaching for six years and to be denied after six years, my ability to be a resource to my students in person, which is the most vital way I, I reach out and speak to so many of my students and to have that removed and be forced to be in this like rectangle of a screen was just this deep, like to, to have that power removed, like you said, Rooster, um, cause I'm an introvert too. I'm like, Give me a house, Netflix, books, I'm good. But to be denied the freedom of having the choice to see, you know, family um, or friends or my students was really hard because it's, it's thinking about the domino effect of the consequences of not having that connectivity to humanity um, in person. There's something about being there in person versus, you know, the technology. But yet again, technology gives us these wonderful opportunities. So. Yeah, I think just how it's affected the relationships I've had with my loved ones. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely been, uh, you know, like the the saying of like you you don't know what you have until you don't, right? Exactly. Uh, and so yeah, that choice of because I think we're all in the same boat where it's like I'm most happiest at home, mm -hmm. uh, but not being able to have those connections, uh, right. and then two uh, like as a writer, like one of the things that I found out is like, I am most inspired when I am in community, when I'm around other people, when I have experiences uh, and conversations and all, all these things that like then trigger something in me that causes uh, something to write uh, that during the pandemic became very hard to do. Um, so I'm curious, like for you, like how has the pandemic like affected your writing, you know, or your writing process, even like how did how did that change over the past eighteen months? Yeah, eighteen months. Eighteen months. That's crazy. I mean, complete, like drastically, it changed. So what happened was is 
a lot, a lot of my writing happens outside of my home. My home mm -hmm. is where Netflix is staring at me, where I need to cook a hot meal for myself and my partner, or we do that together, or I have animals and a garden to take care of and laundry that needs folding. And so there's, there's so much loudness in my home as it is, or family wants to visit that when the pandemic happened, it was almost impossible to get writing done in here. So my method was, is uh, for about, I called it my nomadic uh, writing journey. I literally wrote for an entire year and a half in my car. So I would take my car and I would go drive at a random parking lot in various parts of San Diego. So I've parked at a McDonald's, I've parked at a Hobby Lobby, I've parked at Goodwill um, and Starbucks, you name it. And I would literally park there, get my cup of coffee and then I was just tied down to write as long as I could because um, we were in the middle of summer. So it's like I had to write as fast as I could or be as productive as I could before it got too hot because I didn't want the, the car running for too long. Uh -huh. So um, that's what I would do. I wrote for a year and a half in my car. And I think it kind of worked because it restricted me to go anywhere. There was no movement in my car but to sit in my seat and to turn my steering wheel into a place to like lean my notebook on and spread all of my poetry books and pencils and snacks. And I would just be there anywhere between like two hours to four hours. And so that's what I did for about a year and a half. And um, pandemic has also changed my lens and how I want to see things. And so my mind's been, how do I make small things and turn them into larger spaces as we talked about? So a lot of the microcosms of the world, a lot of the things we've taken for granted and trying to really like peel them into these larger conversations and, and find the stories that are in those, those spaces. Yeah. Mm, I like that. Do you typically find like writing with like pen and note, notebook, like the tactile feeling of it? Like, is that your go-to or do you like oscillate like just wherever, like, I'm a huge fan of like, I literally have it here with me. I'm a huge fan of note, like I'm organic. I'm all organic. I only yeah. blank page and always pencil, always pencil going in every direction. So yeah. um, I've always loved writing in pencil, having the ability to erase and cross out on demand um, and seeing like a pencil finish and then grabbing a fresh one. You know what I'm talking about? It's just I like, got you. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but when that's not in hand, um, I'm always writing on post-it notes and napkins and my cell phone and um, anything I have access to. Because sometimes that poem hits you in the shower mm -hmm. or down the road. And so, you know, you make yeah. do what you got. I also like the mechanical pencils because even though it doesn't go down, you can do a little click. You know, it's like, oh, I think I'm running out. Like, oh, okay, yeah. I got to get more. And then you got to get the little like futuristic container that holds all the little lead. And anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, it always reminded me of like my own personal like writing utensil gun. It's like, let me reload. You know, yeah. like, I, like, yeah. I love, love mechanical pencils. <laughs> I don't know if I took that too far, but that was my favorite part about mechanical pencils is just you get to reload that. Um, you know, and then let's go hit the notebook again. So, and was it like, and and since it was kind of always more tactile than anything, was that kind of how it began? Like, how did you begin? Was it just like writing poetry? What was that like? Um, I mean, we can, my goodness, we can go. I mean, it depends how far you want to go down the rabbit hole. I mean, I can just think. Um, oh. 
Let's go all the way. I'm, I'm your, yeah, this is your show. We're just because, here fielding questions. Because here's the thing: like, I often feel like there are very few second graders that, when they're asked, "What do you want to be when there you grow up?" They're like, "Poet." You know, yeah. like so. Like, I'm always curious. Like, where did it start? <laughs> how did how did we get into this? I mean, here's the thing: like, I definitely wasn't in second grade and was like poet. I was like. I think architect, I don't know. And then when I was like in, I don't know, seventh grade, I was like, I want to be a Ninja Turtle. And then I still didn't know what I wanted to be. And so um, the writing definitely came in was just like my parents being huge supporters of like the arts and having books everywhere from goosebumps to encyclopedias to giving me my first comic book when we had no comic book stores available from where I'm from, um, vinyl and cassettes. And so there's there was always language but the writing really came in when they gave me like that um, Lisa Frank diary. I remember it was all black paper, like a set of dope gel pens. And I was just bright, just like all the cheese and like, ooh, Erika said this today, you know? And I, I had watched uh, Harriet the Spy. I don't know yeah. if you know. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yes. good. Yes. I was like, that's dope. I need a notebook. I need to go document some stuff. So I loved doing that. I loved writing cheesement in notebooks and then just telling little stories. So when I was little, I would just do it all the time. Um, but poetry didn't find me until I was, I moved out of um, my hometown, which is Calexico. And I moved up to San Diego and um, the, the slam and spoken word scene found me. And I started being a creeper and just like, <laughs> following these poets like how do you do this thing and so um you know it was really a community of people that had embraced and saw potential for me to just write and be present with with that art form yeah i i love that and i love that origin story of harriet the spy yeah uh, <laughs> and how you've like continued that in terms of like your notebooks and your writing and more props to both of y'all for doing that uh because mm -hmm. i have the handwriting of a serial killer so like <laughs> i i cannot handwrite because then i won't be able to read it later um but but i'm i'm curious if i can pry uh about what you're writing i'm like what's in the next book uh like what are you what are you writing about now you talked about like these microcosms right and how mm -hmm. you're like fixated on this and how do we turn this into this right yeah. um what what is currently happening in your you know writing life what are your subjects what are you doing tell me everything i'll tell you all let's see so I'll, I'll give you some sneak peeks um a couple things is one of course uh, i would love to make another poetry book uh so since pandemic it's really made me kind of hang out in the garden um my my ancestors were um, agricultural farmers and fruit pickers and so um i'm naturally just drawn into the earth and growing stuff and so a lot of times I'm just writing about the dead sunflower in the backyard, the snail, uh, the fig beetle, um, looking at the orange tree and thinking of the ripe fruit as a metaphor for my sister's womb when she was pregnant. So I'm, again, that kind of microcosms of like looking at these things we take advantage of and trying to peel back um, what what is this natural thing trying to tell us and how does it connect back to our own lives. So. I'm doing a lot of that work. I'm doing a lot of the work where I'm trying to find gratitude. And so my first book, th those of you that have read my first book, 
it's a lot of not not necessarily a lot of drama dumping, but a lot of the acknowledgments and the witnessing of an oppression and an injustice for people uh, when you come from you know the borderlands. And so um, I think a lot about Latinidad and it's like, where do we go next after we talk about trauma? And it's like, we can't fester in trauma. We must move forward. And so my forward is um, gratitude and joy and um, revisiting childhood and revisiting um, the earth and the landscape and how those can be, you know, bridges for conversation. Mm. So um, I'm there with the poetry stuff and the, the other projects are just dreams of um, visiting like graphic novels and middle grade books. And so I'm kind of unpacking a lot of my own childhood stories and mm -hmm. putting them down on the page and seeing what genre they want to kind of gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing since the pandemic is I'm doing a collaborative virtual tour with my wonderful press mate, uh, poet Jessica Salgado. We're called the Juntas, and so we're called the Juntas Tour, where um, me and Jessica have a lot of in common in terms of talking about like family and our cultures and how to keep ourselves visible and the politics of the body, um, visible and invisible disability and things like that. And so um, we are collaborating with independent and nonprofit organizations across the country and facilitating um, writing workshops and readings and keynotes. So that's been a lot of fun to be a resource to the community. Um, aside from all the writing projects, that's kind of what I've been dabbling in thus far. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You look like you were going to say something. Oh, no. I was, oh, I, yeah, I was. But <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say something. No. Um, it, well, it was kind of interesting because it's, it's, I, I, you said some really interesting things about like your first book and how mm -hmm. it was kind of this, um, you know, uh, release of the drama, the traumas of, 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 of Latinidad and yep. living on the border and stuff. And now it's kind of interesting because you, like you had mentioned, uh, your niece and sort of the return to childhood and, and, and also this kind of return to the earth and this, it's, it's like, it's almost like, I, I like that, I guess is ultimately what I'm saying. And I don't know if there's a question in that, but I guess what I'm saying is um, it's fascinating that it's kind of like as adults, we, 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 commiserate about the drama we we find more drama more drama finds us and it's almost as if in this very profound way you're like fuck all that i'm like i'm, I'm going back to the dirt i'm going back to childhood i'm going back to my stories that i wrote as a child mm -hmm. and sort of re-examining that and i think that's a very uh almost like genuine approach to finding peace or i don't mm -hmm. know i love that yeah because i mean the first book called how to pull apart the earth so it's like we're literally like, uh, let's look under mm -hmm. the surface and look at the messy. But now I want to make make myself back to the surface and just say, okay, what's here, what's present, um, and how can I glorify it through poetry? So yeah. and sometimes it's not like the evil oppressive system. Sometimes it's just bugs, and it's you know like you're saying plants and yeah. and then expanding upon it. I really like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that I I, I do want to talk more about this fantastic book oh, uh, yeah. and i have a funny story about it but um i think that's a perfect segue uh we also have a question from from the audience that we'll get to in a moment but i think that's a perfect segue for another poem you know whether it is revisiting you know uh the the i hate calling them old poems but the the poems in your first book or or something that you're that you're doing now um if you could please mm -hmm. give us a poem i think that'd be great I would love to. So this is a throwback to, to childhood. So we're going there. All right, gang. 
Let me get to that real quick. My uh, mouse has been funny, but nonetheless, it's here with me. All right, here we go. So this is called Tiburon. Once, as a child, my parents in a credit card bought a pool table, and I found myself in the backyard with clumsy hands and growing breasts. I claimed corner pocket until I could master to sink an eight ball, and by 15, the neighborhood kids knew of the Mexican girl named Tiburon, the shark who'd bite at the sound of a pool stick chalked into strategy in exchange for Walmart gift cards. And I recall a time when a boy who thought himself a man challenged me to a game of strip pool. I thanked the sky for the cold desert night, for cloaking my body with layers. I emptied the table of its stripped billards, and the boy who thought himself a man stripped down to a full moon, cupped his manhood, and I walked away with his shit talk in my pocket. Years later, in college, my roommate asked to accompany her to a local pub. The bar sticky and old beer and jukebox, we took our seat on broken stools, rickety when our legs crossed themselves for good balance, the room full of tall men hovering over the pool table, their hands choking the necks of IPAs. I stacked a tower of quarters on the table, stared down a white man covered in mermaid tattoos, trapped in the ocean of his arm. I'll play for five bucks and a few smokes, I say. I'll break the table, and his jaw snaps back at the reckless dance. Four beers later, I sweep a $20 bill in American spirits. I walk into the alley, smoke my winnings, and exchange my dollar bill for a California burrito. My mouth smothered in salsa verde. I laughed, laughed at the history of the men who dared doubt this feral animal that blazes in this blood. Mm. <laughs> I, so, I, I can't help but laugh because I am so slayed by these poems. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my parents bought me a pool table, me and my three other sisters. And it's like when you live in the valley or Calexico, it's like you got haystacks, you got one movie theater, and you can go to Mexicali if you're old enough, you know? And so, uh, the pool table was just a cool, cool thing to do every day. Um, and little did I know it helped uh, buy me burritos when I was <laughs> when I moved up to San Diego and I got to play for money. Yeah, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. um, I want I want to get back to this question that one of our audience members asked, uh, and then I want to dive more into the borderlands. Mm -hmm. uh, but Jarrell asks, uh, going back to the writing thing, uh, yeah. when you have been forced to use ink or dare he say, a laptop. Uh, yeah. Did it inhibit your creativity in any way? Does that pencil yeah. slash page contain that power of writing? Great question. Thank you so much for asking. Um, I mean, I've used pens before. Um, what I like about pencil and pen is um, I'm not always erasing. I like to just cross out because I want to see the history of things that get to live but don't necessarily make it off the notebook. So, um, Pens are cool. Um, if I get a nice flow to the ink, you know, I'm satisfied. Uh, so I don't see the pen so much disrupting creativity. I do see that happen to me when I'm working on like a laptop or my cell phone because I have a tendency to want to like delete things and then I can't go back to them, even though I can cross out and highlight, but like visually it, it doesn't make me happy. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say there's something, there's something about typing on a laptop 
or just doing this and creating language versus, you know, doing this and this and this and, and this. And, you know, there, there's something more intimate in like creating my language with, with my pencil and my notebook versus like the machine of all 10 fingers doing it for me. I don't know. There's like a slowness to this that I appreciate. And so the, the laptop does kind of, uh, you know, um, have me bump bump a little with uh, creativity from time to time. Not impossible, but it happens sometimes. So interesting. I, I love that perspective. Because uh, for me, the opposite is like, my brain is working so fast that when like I write, like I end up forgetting what it was that I was thinking. So I need to, I need to type it. Um, but you know, each their own. And I love that perspective on it. Um, but let's let's go back to this this uh, idea of of the borderlands. So you talked about how like in your book, which is phenomenal, um, and I got on accident essentially, um, and it was the best happy accident in the world. So I was I was buying uh, Jessica's book because we had her on in season one, and like not a cult was like uh, if you spend ten more dollars, shipping is free, and I was like sure. <laughs> So when buying a random book, my process is to look for authors whose names are of la gente or indicate that they might be of la gente. And then once I find one, look for the most interesting cover. And so that's how I ended up with your book and it was the best happy accident ever. Um, and so you talk a lot about the kind of like the trauma that it is of the borderlands and mm -hmm. uh, kind of like the immigration you know, um, I grew up in Laredo, Texas. We were kind of talking about it. It's on right on the border. It's mm -hmm. a city that's 98% Mexican, 2% mm -hmm. everything else. Uh, and for some reason, very desperately wants to be white America. Mm -hmm. um, but in any case, I was always surrounded by people that looked like me, talk like me, ate the food that I ate, all of that. And it wasn't until I like went to college in Austin that I realized like, oh, I'm not like these white folk. Mm. I am. I am a minority. I you people y'all don't know my people and my culture and all of that. So I'm curious. Like, was there ever a moment for you of this like otherness that was like so glaringly put to you of like, but you're not like the rest of this country or you're not like all these other people mm -hmm. uh, outside of your bubble, right? And like, right. What, what that experience was like. Yeah, absolutely. The answer is yes. Oh, and, and actually, side note, I'm so happy that happy accident happened. So <laughs> the book found you. Thank you, Nautical, for knocking off $10, you know. Um, but yeah, shout out to Nautical. Uh, but to go back to your question about, you know, the, this idea of otherness, absolutely yes. So the complexity of the border, right, is we have tangible and non-tangible um, forms of oppression. And this could be the various cultures or the politics that pull us back and forth. And so the kind of pulling of back and forth for me was, you're not American enough, but you're not Mexican enough. And then the dynamics of colorism. So the school I went to, a lot of folks from Mexicali, Mexico would cross the border. Our class was 90% students who were from Mexicali, Mexico, mm -hmm. but I was born and raised in America. And so to be in a classroom with a bunch of you know Latinx students um, from Mexicali, Mexico, there was definitely also this colorism, um, this also geographical um, distancing because I wasn't part of that, you know, that clique. 
of being mm-hmm. on that side of the border. You know, everybody had their parties and their um, places of association. And so I then got jumbled into, you know, the American kids, the one white kid, the one black kid and the one Asian kid we had. And then um, it, and then if you happen to be born in the U.S. side, but you were still, you know, Latinx, it's like, and then you got shoved here. So it was all these complexities of just, you don't fit in here, you don't fit in there. And then going with like your, to visit your familia on Sundays for the pozole. And they're like, oh, that's the educated one, you know, because a lot of, some of my family didn't go to college. So then the pressures of being, you know, the educated one, the know-it-all. Um, so there, there were all those various dynamics. And then the, that idea even became more complicated when I moved to San Diego, because the question was like, where are you from? You look interesting, you know? And so when I would say Calexico, it's like, what part of Mexico is that? And I was like, no, it's here in the U.S. And so I was doing a lot of like Google map pointing, like it's here, I promise you it's here. So it was another kind of form of otherness when I moved up to San Diego and um, being exposed to this whole new culture, which is a different border in itself to be in San Diego versus, you know, Calexico. Yeah. So there, there was definitely a lot of that, you know, and I carry, a, I'm, I'm proud to say I carry a lot of Spanglish on my tongue um, versus like this very like academic understanding of Spanish. And a lot of that, again, goes back to if you've read the book, um, I vaguely talk about like my abuelo and um, his, his issues with machismo and how there was a lot of silencing of, of my Spanish because of those issues. And so, yeah, super complicated stuff. And then you think about religion and if you don't fit into the, you know, the good daughter effect, it's like you're sinning in the name of the Lord. And so there were multiple borders, um, and of otherness that I faced in that, you know, mm-hmm. um, to, to just add one more note is like I, I embraced a lot of the punk scene growing up in the border, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. And so it was like, eyeliner, <laughs> black nails, pierced ears. My mom's like, Santa Maria. Uh, <laughs> like, you need Jesus, Mika. You know what I'm saying? And so it, yes. it was just like, you know, we're intersectional people. You know, we can embrace all these things and still be okay with it, but you're going to have binary forces tell you you can't. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, a little bit of all that growing up. Mm. Kind of uh, to that point, too, in these intersections, how did being an artist and being a writer and a poet kind of uh, interact with the other intersections like family and culture and stuff like that? Because I know for me, like my dad is really one of those practical, hardworking Mexicanos who's like, mm-hmm. get a job or go be a doctor if you want to be smart. Um, so when I was like writing poems and I'm doing it, it's always like, how's the hobby going? And always being a real dick about it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. How, what was what was the experience like for you? Um, to, to like embracing kind yeah, of as you being yeah. a creative, an artist, a poet, a writer. My yeah. mom hates hearing poems that I have where she's mentioned at all. Like she turns into like Harriet the Spy. She wants to make sure yeah. I'm not giving away some some making her look bad in the public or something. Oh, I love it. Um yeah, I mean in the beginning, you know, my family just was like, Oh, that's my emo daughter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> with the pro and all like get her out and like leave me alone and, you know? and the hair so, swoop yeah yeah yes okay so the way i got bangs this is a great side note i never had bangs i was i see growing up my whole life my mom was uh-huh. like, I love your hair pulled back 
Pero one day I rebelled and I got like those like plastic scissors from the dollar store and I was like, no, I want to rebel. And that's how I got my bangs and I've kept them ever since because it was just like a big turning point for me. But embracing kind of the, the art form and my family, um, you know, I was kind of there writing. Um, the beautiful thing is I'm super, super grateful to have parents that have been supportive my whole life in terms of education and writing like I said, always filling the house with books. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to San Diego where I had my first poetry slam. And um, I didn't have a car, so I had to take a train and a trolley to go to downtown. Someone told my mom that I was going to do a slam. She drove two and a half hours from Calexico, uh -huh. hid in the crowd. And there I am up on stage throwing a poem about feminism and embracing sexual, da da da, you know, and embracing the Chicana Latinidad and, you know, all this stuff. And um, I ended up winning the slam. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to slam. What does this mean? And then my mom, like like Moses parting the sea, she just like, came out and she's like, Mija, congratulations. And I was like, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be at work, you know? And um, it was the first time one of my parents understood what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. And um, but she's like, but on the drive home, we're going to talk about this poem you talked about, you know. And so <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, they heard me say, you know, the word sex. Oh, no. Um, and feminism. And oh, no. Uh, so it was this very like secretive thing. I feel more comfortable sharing my poems to, you know. A room full of strangers or my community of writers than I do with my family and I know a lot of people feel like that um, so yeah I mean now my parents continue to be super proud and have a better understanding when they got to see something tangible mm -hmm. and look inside and my parents are slowly progressing to using Instagram and Facebook and they get to see people sharing my work and reading my work and um, the, the flyers of me doing events and so they have a better grasp of what it is I'm trying to do and that yeah it's possible to get a paycheck out of it and they're just super proud and so it, it took a while to, to have them understand what it is I do mm -hmm. and so um, yeah they're I hope they, they're proud I think they're still proud <laughs> yeah and it's been a fun journey to kind of um, get me and my parents together on the same page of what what poetry can do and what it can offer i i love that uh, you know yeah. like uh my parents are the slam parents you know like they go to every slam and they go they drive to every competition they um, do they invite they, everyone over afterwards and, really oh yeah I love it's the sweetest story. thing yeah That's awesome well i remember when i got into the slam like this, my first slam team my coach was like, we're going to fly you to Boston. And I was like, what? I've never been on a plane. And so I, told, I told my mom, like, mom, they're paying for my plane ticket. She goes, what's the, like, what's the catch? You, you're doing poems and you got a plane ticket and a hotel. And I was like, I swear it's all paid for. And so it was such a big turning, like, again, such a big turning point to see my family say, oh, poems can do this. Yeah. Um, but, oh, my gosh, awesome that you have parents yeah. that. Well, and, and that and that's the thing, you know, to, super supportive the entire time. I, almost until decided to make poetry a full time thing, and then my dad's like, "But how are you going to pay bills?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but I, I want to get back to this uh, this idea of intersectionality, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so great comment here from Santos that that's the beauty of growing up in the border cities, being able to be immersed in both cultures, mm -hmm. uh, facing both cultural culture systems of beliefs and creating art that reflects that and discovering your own. Uh, so it's uh, really, I love that comment. Um, and I think that maybe also the draw to like the punk rock scene as, mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know, punk rock in South Texas and the border is strong uh, because it is this, this uh, culture of like, I don't care what you rebelling against. If you're rebelling, mm -hmm. you are here. We are people, we are a community, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I do, in, in reading your book, I do get this very uh, interesting experience that feels like a, kind of like a ni de aquí, ni de allá, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that kind of feeling like permeates, I think, with a lot of uh, immigrants and a lot of people uh, who are children of immigrants and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm curious, like, how do you navigate that diaspora while still kind of holding on to the customs and the culture and the roots of your parents and your grandparents, you know, yeah. like what feels like appreciation versus appropriation, right? Absolutely. I think I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate that. But I mean, in the beginning, I was told three things. It was like, don't get pregnant, get straight A's, do your chores. <laughs> Got it, you know? And so when you don't know any better, I mean, you follow that because you want to kind of, you know, make your parents proud. You know, your parents worked hard to be in this country and to put a roof over your head. And so you say, okay, what you quickly learn as you get older is that when we follow our, our culture, sometimes it could be very limiting to mm -hmm. your ability to what liberation looks like for your own identity. And so it wasn't until I moved to San Diego and having books given to me that say, no, culture is important, but you also need to acknowledge when it can be oppressive and that it's okay to break out of that and to mold and mesh, you know, uh, a remedy that can balance both worlds. And this could be your culture and your language and your relate your religion, um, doing this fine dance between who it is you want to be in the world and who you want to become. So, you know, my, my balance between diaspora is finding people I can admire, whether it's through, you know, um, literature, you know, Gloria Anzaldúa or Audre Lorde, and giving me the liberty to figure out how language can, can give me opportunities to rebel and seek liberation in my own identity, um, but still feeling very grounded, not till I was in college with like mentors who have been there and done that and um, have been the open doors to talk about this complication of our culture um, and what it means to be children of, um, you know, immigrants. And there's these pressures that are, that we need to fulfill. And so mm -hmm. it's okay to acknowledge them and it's okay not to be perfect. And we can mesh and mold um, what feels fit for us and comfortable because self-care comes first mm -hmm. is what I realized in that journey. So yeah, so still navigating through it, but I'm finding a good balance and how to do so. And that's really the most punk rock thing a person can do, right? Like hey. you know, being <laughs> their own true, authentic self. You know, that's right. That's right. Punk rock is not a costume, people. Remember that. Yeah. It's <laughs> not. It's it's a way of life. That's uh, right. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm like, please don't dig up any old photos of me with the emo hair. It's just. It's <laughs> mine is so embarrassing. I, yeah, mine are really embarrassing. 
Yeah, as as great as great at that as that time was, and the um, uh, kind of like the liberation and and the knowledge that we learned through punk rock and hardcore, we made some really bad aesthetic choices. Of course, we did. That's yeah. I bought like Dollar Tree eyeliner and like the horrible black hair dye that just like melted my hair. And yeah, we've all been there. And yeah, the good old days. <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, I have one more question. I don't know if Rooster, you have another question. I'm cool. I, I I have one more question, kind of to maybe end us on on a, on an educational note, on on an ins, on an inspiring note, and on a looking towards the future, and maybe things can be better kind of note. Um, as someone who has the icy hands of death when it comes to anything green. Mm. Uh, what is, cause you have a beautiful garden. Thank um, you. What, 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 how, why, why does everything die when I touch <laughs> it? Um, <laughs> what, yeah. What is, what is kind of like your, your go-to practices of, of cultivating new life in your garden that we should all aspire to do? I love you know what? I believe in you. I really do. And so a lot of folks were just tell me like everything I touch dies. I'm like, you can do it. And then they're like, I only had a cactus. I'm like, you killed a cactus. And so I killed a cactus. I killed a cactus. Okay. I think you will. Okay. We'll talk more about keeping <laughs> your cacti alive, but I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. It's trial and error. That's it. Like I've killed multiple things and they're all in, plant heaven, you know, looking down on me and saying like, keep going, keep trying. Honestly, it's a lot of trial and error. Some of the remedies, if you have like a garden box or a good pot, it's all about having good soil. It, it really is good soil. Um, if you don't got worms in your soil, you got dead soil. So you go to the nursery and you go buy yourself a bag of worm poop and it works wonders. Don't use miracle Grow because that's full of chemicals mm -hmm. and um, that's government owned. And so you don't want to support miracle Grow. Go all organic. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, it starts with soil. It starts with good soil, good sun. Make sure there's worms in it. Trial and error, you're going to kill a bunch of things. And then once you kill that thing, then you try again. And so um, that's why I said the tomato plant. I've killed tomato plants multiple times because they, yeah. yeah, it's trial and error. So. So that was ain't that a motherfucking metaphor for life. Uh, <laughs> as my husband would say, that's a poem. Yeah, it starts with soil and you gotta have worms in it. I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, well, Carla, thank you so much for this highly insightful and enjoyable and rich conversation. Uh, that we've had, we've loved having you on here. Um, could you please, speaking of poems, close us out with with one more poem? I would love to. Thank you all so much for having me. It's been an absolute honor just kind of hanging out with you two for, for a bit. So, and those of you tuning in, thank you for listening. Um, I appreciate it. So uh, with that being said, I'm gonna do one more poem. Um, and I always like to give a little context to this piece. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of the matriarch of my sisters, and you know they know I'm like the the 
the the teacher and so when my sister my youngest sister turned 21 she said um, I just want one thing from you and she goes will you go to a club and I was like ooh okay I'm gonna try and she goes but when you go there don't be all analytical don't be trying to deconstruct the patriarchy like just go have fun and I was like okay I'm gonna try but I can't promise and so that's not what happened and so while my sister was having fun <laughs> this is a true story um a man walked into the club and I saw her stare at him and her face completely broke down. And it was the first time I really understood how language can be violent. And so when I saw this man, he had a shirt that said virgins wanted. And of course, I'm not in a position to go speak to this very tall, intimidating person, but as a poet, you can write about it, write about it. So I wrote about it. So um, thank you all for listening. And here's my last poem. All right. To the man at the club with the shirt that says virgins wanted. I see you pretty boy. I see you all pretty. No boy. I see you hungry dog. I see you dog alone. I see you lonely. I see your good intentions become devil and broken. So explain to me when virgin became job application became walking billboard, became capitalism stitched on fine cotton thread. I will tell you that these shoulders were born far too heavy, constantly having to convince three sisters that God made man to be more than the butcher who slices off a girl's self-worth, left all bone, no shadow, before girl can grow into her own body, before girl can discover voice box and the warning smell of burning flame, before girl can discover the word no, speak like machete on her tongue. American pastime has turned virgin into a bitter taboo that sleeps between our thighs, painting the flesh of our bodies like cheap fruit. Yo, virgin is not meant to pop like a cherry. Cherries don't even fucking pop. We are not produce to be bruised. We are the genesis of every constellation, every meadow licked down to its last root. Cut us and we bleed wolf cry and thorn. Mock us and our teeth will bite you back into an ancestry of gospel and sacred church because there is no shame in trying to keep something holy. So to you, man at the club, I will send you every virgin's crying prayer. I will tell you the story of the girls in Nigeria whose laughter was kidnapped from their father's cracked palms, still missing, still ghost cries lingering amongst the dinner table. I will tell you the story of Emma Solkowitz, who carries her mattress like cold crucifix, still waiting for justice to warm the empty side of her bed sheets. I will tell you the story of my little sister, whose dirty blonde hair ballroom dances at the edges of her shoulders and at her first job interview, she was asked to take her clothes off, to twirl, to twerk, her stomach now scarred and empty shame. She is still trying to find herself beautiful again. I am constantly reminding her she's always been beautiful. I tell her, sweetie, we inherit woman needing to protect the parts of us we didn't know needed protecting, so be a tall thing. Be a mountain without push or pull. Tattoo Aretha Franklin onto your chest and demand respect. Play that shit on repeat and pray that the man at the club is nothing but an ignorant man with an ignorant shirt. And when the monster between his jawbone craved pretty girl and soft knee, remind him that you 
are not just somebody's daughter, but the reincarnation of the very ocean that gave him permission to speak. Thank you. Mm. Round of applause for the poet. Everyone in the chat too. Y'all, y'all show some love. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Says everyone in the chat. Uh, thank. Uh, thank you, uh, Carla. This has been a, a fantastic conversation. Uh, I know you and I talked uh, months ago about getting you on the show, and I've been eagerly anticipating it. And it has been everything and more. Um, of what uh, my little heart needed and wanted. Oh, thanks, very much love, thank you. Yeah, um, I know we have it displayed on the screen right now, but for anybody that's listening to the podcast after this, um, where can people find you, find your work, all of that fun stuff? Um, awesome, yeah, so everything on the screen there, which thank you for posting. Um, I'm super active in terms of like happenings in the community and writing workshops as well as like get togethers for just writing um, on my Instagram. So you could follow me on Carla Flaca 13 and that's Flaca with a K, not a C. So feel free to make your way over there and um, hang out, have a conversation. I always tell folks when I jump into spaces like this, um, the conversation doesn't end here. I'm a forever resource to you. So please feel free to reach out anytime. Um, if y'all want to purchase a book or have more conversation, you can also check out my website, garlacordero.com, and would love to have conversation with y'all. And then, um, you know, if you're in a space to do so, Venmo and PayPal on the screen. Um, and with that, thank you all so much. I appreciate you all. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. yeah. One more time, love in the comment section for for Carla. Uh, thank you once more. Well, I, I can't I can't stop saying thank you. Okay, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Chibi, <laughs> reflect, sir. What do you think? I mean, I literally, I lit, I literally laughed in in joy at at the wonderment that is. Um, her poetry uh, every, every time after every poem. But I think I think my biggest reflection is just that idea of the journey, right? Um, the journey through like figuring out what we are and who we are and then that kind of like pause and focus on the, on the small things, right? The things that we take for granted, you know, the things that we overlook and how, um, how much, how connected they are to everything around us and how much bigger they are than just the flower or the, in my case, family of birds that decided to set up a nest in the gardening hat we had out in the backyard, right? And, right. You know, how everything is just like a metaphor for the soil, the soil with the with the word. Like I, she was talking about planting. Good soil. Yeah, she was talking about planting, but I'm like, holy shit, you're right. I need to fix the soil in my life. <laughs> mm, no absolutely it's it's uh cycles and it's uh there was this uh brazilian chef named alex At atla i think who said that uh one time when he was on lsd he had a vision where it's like you see the seed you see the soil you see the plant and the root and the grow and then you see the flower and then it goes away and that, that that's really just what it's all about just getting to that one point of brilliance after all that work and i think uh 
Paula really kind of expresses that, you know, in her work. And I mean, like, I, I really am a big fan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love I'd to hear it. I'm really sad that we're having this conversation in the fall and I can't like jump out there and start planting immediately. I have to right. uh, but uh, in any case- Are there case, things you can grow in the fall? I don't know. Like again, cucumbers? I, I don't know. I, I get, I, yeah, that's not my, that's not my zone. I stay in my zone because yeah, I will just yeah. wreck and cause mayhem. Anywho. <laughs> Let's thank some people and get out of here. So uh, thank you so much to the audience. Again, we do the show live for a reason, people. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, Y'all were fantastic tonight. Really, really interactive. Loved uh, the questions, loved the comments, the the affirmations. So please, audience, uh, you watching it. Uh, oh, you can grow in buckets indoors? See, we're okay, moving on. Uh, I'm like squirrel. Uh, so thank you for tuning in audience live or tuning in afterwards. You know, like if you're catching this afterwards, just know that this show happens live every Tuesday night. So uh, if you can pencil it into your schedule and, and, and tune into the live show and be part of the show. And to learn more about us, be sure to follow on IG and Twitter at words and shh. And whether this is your first time with us or if you've been here before, know that you can catch up on past episodes. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash words and shit. All of our past episodes are there as well as the show gets released as a podcast. So if you prefer to listen to the shows, you can find them wherever you get their podcasts. We are nearing like... 70 episodes at this point and our guests vary uh, from genre and style and all of that so go check it out I'm sure you're going to find some of your favorites as well as discover some new favorites which is really what it's all about this little experiment during COVID has become this really wonderful thing so uh, be sure to check that out people also be sure to tune in next week where the guests will be Kenneth something Hey, from Baltimore. Yeah, straight out of Baltimore. Can't, can't wait to have that conversation. Uh, but until next time, y'all stay safe out there. Adieu.